You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the Weekly Review's Daily Edition Radio Formula, or as I'd like to baptize what may become a weekly tradition, the Weekly Interview. We caught up with James Wrighton to talk about his latest new album, released just last Friday, and you'll be able to hear that interview coming up shortly. Also released after much anticipation was The Other Side of Make Believe, Interpol's seventh album produced in London with Alan Mulder and Flood. We'll listen to a cut off that along with a new drop from British techno ambient master Daniel Avery. A new update or remix or rework from a classic ride tune featuring the fiddlings of a legendary goth icon from the British Isles, who famously sang Monday You Can Fall Apart. But to keep it together in this very Monday, we start off with what felt like the most amazing announcement in the world of left field pop music. Lisbon residents Panda Bear and Sonic Boom not only appreciate the Bifana sandwiches, of typical of Portugal, probably, they've also gone and made music together, an album's worth. And we have a little taster of what's to come. This is Panda Bear with Sonic Boom, or as I like to call them, Panda Boom with Go On. Yeah. 
give it to me, 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 give it to me. Beach Boys would have made on LSD if they had modern drum machines. Speaking of drum machines, an expert knob twiddler and drone conductor in his own right, Daniel Avery, has announced a new album to, re- to be released come November on Mute and Fantasy Sound. And we have a third single following Chaos Energy and Bliss, in which we have more proof that drum and bass and breakbeats are definitely making a strong comeback, if they haven't already. We won't really feel like it until Madonna makes a single and puts it into the mainstream, innit? Go, Daniel.
Jackson James Wrighton has followed up 2020's The Performer with Jim, I'm Still Here. Co-written with the Soul, Bra- Soul Wax brothers, Stephen and David Dewell, for their Dewey label. Lyrically, Wrighton has found inspiration facing the daily routines of fatherhood against the persona he adopts when performing his music for audiences in a live venue or through social media. Musically, the Belgian DJs have taken him by the hand through a sonic gallery of the type of early 80s synth funk perfected by the likes of Richie Sakamoto, his band Yellow Magic Orchestra, and his mate David Sylvain from Art Popper's Japan, as well as some 80s sexy sleazy grooves from The Purple One. We discussed this over Zoom and we have that interview for you. Hi James, good to catch up so quickly since we last spoke. Hey Jan, how's things? Very well, very well. Uh, congratulations on Jim, I'm Still Here, your new album. You've kept yourself very busy since you released uh, The Performer. Uh, when did you start composing the songs for that would comprise Jim, I'm Still Here? The, I, uh, we're talking literally the first three or four weeks of lockdown in the UK. So we're talking, uh, is that end of February, March? I yes. mean, literally the week, the week I released The Performer was the week of lockdown in England. So, you know, I released the album and then suddenly it was, that was it. Um, and so then that's when suddenly life got very strange and scary and weird. And, um, and the idea for the album uh, came then. I mean, that was it. Like, uh, it just all kind of it happened very quickly and very easily. When you speak of the idea, do you mean this idea of separating the two, you know, creating this alter ego, uh, which is very kind of close to your real life, no? That being the father of a house, of a, of a, the father of a family and being a, a rock star uh, as a professional? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's a combination of like, I mean, it's really like a documentation of, of uh, it's a very, of, of life and my life and like, it's very personal and it's like, which was a kind of, it's a documentation of everyone's life, which is like what, what it's really weird because it was obviously written during that very, very odd time, but like, it's about a kind of friendship and about desires and, you know, fantasy and about, you know, about loss. And it's, it's about, and also it's about the divide between the, the different mul- the multitudes of, 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 of us as humans and the versions of ourselves that we present to the world. So it's like, you know, it's about that, you know, Jim was this alter ego I created to, to kind of basically, uh, to be the front man for a lot of the kind of live stream concerts and stuff that I was doing around the performer. Cause I got asked to do so much around that album because it felt like everyone was very proactive in that period. Like people would be like, this is a new world. We're going to, let's do live stream concerts. So let's do interviews. It's, the thing, it really took hold. Like people were really, it didn't last for long, but there was that weird bit where I was doing a, a, quite a lot of promo every day at the same time as like upstairs, I would be looking after my very young family, you know, my, my like baby and my daughter and I'd be on Zoom school and like a very weird, like extreme version of domesticity, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so those two lives were like parallel 
and that's how I created Jim for the album. And Jim like bookends the record. Jim's at the beginning and at the end. And and although Jim is like a character, caricature, a character, let's say, um, he's still me. Do you know what I mean? He's like a more extreme version of me, which I can play with. Yeah. And uh, and I can keep myself in check with. I think you know it's always good to have because you know you can the, the traits that I think Jim, the version of Jim in my head has the negative ones, the egotist, the like fame hungry guy the one who wants likes the one who's that guy as much as i don't want to say that guy is me there is a little part of me that probably always is that you know yeah it's just like it's in all of us you know it's like we all as much as we don't want external validation it's quite nice you know uh so these are the kind of themes and the you know i think there's a lot in this record really to to uh dissect and it's a natural progression because the performer was also like an alter ego or like an exaggerated version, right, of of a of you as the performer in your white suit playing a white piano. Yeah. Where, but uh, whereas that had a more seven classic seventies piano led songwriter vibe, here you've gone all sexy yeah. mid tempo sixth synth <laughs> funk. Uh, what were funk got, yeah electro yeah yeah how, it's funny, how is there? Exactly, and 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 the fact that you you immediately started writing the first songs when you were still in the mindset of the performer, uh, how did that happen? How were you able to like switch so quickly into such a different style? Well, I mean, like I think that but the thing is, is that as you you, you probably know, you know, like when you make an album, there's always such a delay between finishing it and writing it, finishing it, and then the release of it. Hmm. It's never like I, I mean, I'm which was always something that slightly frustrates me because I'm like I'm ready, I've got it, but then it's all the other things that always take time, the videos, the like the album artwork, the look, the those things, which you, you can't, you have to get right as well. And I really care about, but so I'd already kind of moved on from the performer months before I'd even released it. You know, I, I got the next thing I back. I had a lot of backlog, you know what I mean? Like stuff was coming. So I'd already, I I'd, I'd kind of in my head before just like the weeks, months before the performer was released, I had enough, Dave Steph and I from Soulwax, we'd always talked about doing a, an actual record together because the, the performer they mixed, but they didn't produce it with me. And it was like, okay, well, we started talking. This is back in like maybe December, January. We're like, wouldn't it be great if we'd made a more kind of futuristic, uh, more synth-heavy, more electronic uh, album that's kind of more of a less less indebted to the seventies, but more kind of you know, using a lot of using the synths I've got and the stuff they've got, and we could make something quite, I don't know, quite interesting and, and reference these bands like Japan and Sakamoto period, like yes. early Sakamoto solo records. They were huge references, um, which I didn't know a lot. I knew YMO, obviously, and I knew some Japan, but I didn't know. There's one record called Tin Drum by Japan. There's um, these early Sakamoto solo records are incredible. Um thousand knives like that track um there's a bill nelson record who was this english guy who made this really interesting music with 808 drum machines and stuff and i was really fortunate to be, before lockdown basically they we started this like playlist so dave and steph they sent me this playlist of like 10 12 songs that i'd never heard before as like a reference musical kind of reference for this record we were making and that was so inspiring because i just suddenly had all of these you know it's like I'm very lucky. They're like very good teachers to have because yeah. they always, they know so much about music. They know so many genres and bands and things that I, I have no idea about. And I, th I thought, I, I think I know quite a bit about music, you know, 
Um, but there's always something they know about that I, I'd never heard of. And, and um, th well, they're obviously going through this kind of phase because they they just put out this uh, this year as well, uh, "Topical Dancer" by Charlotte yeah. Adigeri and Boris Poupel, which also has a similar sleazy yeah. slow dance tempo, and yeah. they've been very hands on with that. Is that some? Is that part of their like master plan for Dewey, like bringing back that kind of early '80s or late '70s Sakamoto okay. kind of sound? Yeah, I think they have. They've obviously have a sound like Dave and Steph. Like, there's definite like you know, there. When you go through the Dewey Studio, it's like I mean, the the nearest thing I can compare it to is like Warhol's Factory. In, a, in it's like the Belgian version of Warhol's Factory. You go there. I was there last week because um, we we figured out we've been working on the live set together. And uh, you go there, and it's just like it's a. It's one of the most beautiful architectural buildings you'll ever see. I don't know if you can Google it and you see it. It's in it's in Ghent, and it's beautiful. I mean, like those guys are immaculate in everything they do. You know, everything is like detail to down to the finest detail, like perfect. You know, from the way they look, the way they dress, the music they make, everything is just brilliant and perfect and and thought about. Nothing is ever like everything's considered. So you go to this building, and in it, you're like. You know, you've got their studio, but then there's all these little studios and there's like, and there's Charlotte in one room and then there's like Bollis in another. Then there'll be another thing that they signed and they're all friends and they're all just like, it's so lovely. It's like this um, wonderful creative hub in Ghent. Um, and like, I just, you know, I go there and I just, you know, and I, it's so nice. It's like a big, fa it is the closest thing I've ever heard, like being to like a musical family. Um, so yeah, with, 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 with working with those guys, you know, and the thing is, is with this record, it was also like, I was in lockdown. I was here in my studio. They were there in their studio. We, um, I couldn't, I didn't have a live band. You know, I didn't have a drum kit here with my studio. I had my, I had a couple of my old drum machines from the late 70s, early 80s. I had the drum tracks, the 808, I had bits like that. And I had my synths, which are like, you know, my Profit, my like CS60, a couple of, you know, a couple of synths that I've kind of accumulated along the way. So I was really working with what I had in front of me. You know, and that was that. And then I'd send these these sessions to Dave and Steph and they'd work in their studio like that and then send send it back. And it was this back and forth between between uh, between get Belgium and, and London. And we, you know, we, we work with what we had in front of us, really. So we, that happened to be synths and drum machines. And yeah, it was um, it really shaped the record, you know. Yeah, I hear a lot of the soft pad beats, you know, the, uh, was that a result of working in the home studio and trying not to make a racket to... Uh, yeah, no, it was it was like like loads of stuff was just um, I mean I this is what I quite like because above above my studio is the kitchen and every morning you know if you imagine I've got two young girls and they're just stamping and marching all across the kitchen and moving chairs and bashing into each other and bouncing balls and when I was doing the vocal takes down here I'm convinced I know there was a lot of the kids in the background like the banging of the children in the background so they're 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 in, on the record somewhere there's some kind of spill you know from from above <laughs> spill from above that's a good that's a great band name it's like the dfa but yeah <laughs> well the album opens with what sounds like a confession into a tape recorder establishing the difference between james the father of the family who feeds the kids washes the dishes and jim the artist who goes out on tour wearing gucci suits and loafers First of all, what dishes are you washing, man? I, I expect you to... Don't you have a dishwasher machine, like one of those electrical... I, here we go. Okay, do you want me... I don't... I am so OCD with stuff. I don't trust dishwashers. I have <gasps> one, obviously, but I'm the kind of guy that washes dishes before he puts them into the dishwasher. 
Wow. Well, yeah, right? Because you're supposed to kind of rinse them, but you actually like wash them like scrub. I wash them and then put, this is how crazy. However, I like this. I like that we've gone down the dishwashing uh, wormhole. However, a very, very wonderful friend of mine who was once a very, very, a high executive guy at some a fashion label, let's say. He once what came around for dinner and showed me how to stack a dishwasher perfectly. And I have never seen a more beautiful, more incredible, more inspiring. Um, I've never learned so much in my life. There is a specific, if you want, shall I give you the tips? Yes. You can stack. Cause my friend, he, he stacked like four dishwasher loads in the one dishwasher. And then you should always put it on the highest temperature setting. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. The highest temperature, but wait, the stacking <laughs> though. I mean, you know, usually you put the plates on the in the in the filing kind of plate filing yeah. system. But there's a way of doing it that you can do. If I'd have to take a picture and show you, there's yeah. a way you can get more in there than you can ever imagine. All right. Well, we'll we'll, do, we'll talk about this later. We'll okay. do a photo thing. Okay. Uh, you also you might have to edit all of this out of your interview. <laughs> I think this is probably going a little bit off piece. People relate to this. They love it. Anyway, people can't relate to this. Well, well, you clearly are a domestic god, as you mentioned in one of your lyrics or, or audio notes I, on the album. I try. I try. I try. I'm very domesticated. You know, I'm very, very. Um, I do. I mean, I've got very. I've got good at it. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't good at it. I was terrible at it. I was not a very good. Um, I wasn't very good at cooking. I wasn't very good at domestic things, ironing, washing up the shit that we all have to do you know in my 20s i was on tour constantly and i was a but life now is very much like it's my family you know that is my life my life is like i spend it you know i spend all my time with my family and i'm just making sure the kids are happy and fed and you know there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of mess when you've got to, you know small yeah. uh, you know two girls you know um as you can imagine and that is my life and then this little bit in between is like me making music. So it felt like I needed to kind of acknowledge that. Because if I'm not acknowledging in that, then that's not um, true to my story of my life. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I kind of very much believe in a lot of my favorite writers and musicians. They do. I like that they focus on the small and the stuff that you think, oh, that's not going to that's a, not a generalization, but I like the small stuff. I like talking about the stuff that's in front of me because I think that's like how you get the detail in songwriting and the story. Otherwise, it's, you know, coloring it with uh, cliches and just like, you know, big generalizations and things mm. that don't really mean anything. Yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 And I think that's the thing with general, in general, like a lot of music, is, I, the music I don't like is stuff that does that, that does kind of, it's just beige. And like, I like the writers that kind of, go in have humor in their work and kind of talk about you know the stuff that's random and probably shouldn't normally be put into songs you know i shouldn't really be singing about wearing loafers and you know washing the dishes and you know so on but i like this for me this is like part of the it's who i am you know what i mean yes and and you say it on the album you're uh, there's another part where you're speaking into your dictaphone saying i'm here for you i'm trying to please my ego is growing how are you handling the natural urge you must have as an artist of being available to your audience with having to be the number one person for your family, especially the children who are at an age where they probably miss you even if you've just popped out to get some oat milk? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I find it incredibly hard when I have to go away. Like, to be honest, like, I really don't. I just went to, I had to do like a couple of days in Paris press trips, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, as every family and every parent knows, as much as being with your family and children is fantastic, when you go away for a couple of days, it's also quite a relief. Quite you know, brilliant. it's quite nice. Yes. It's, yeah, I'm not going to say, say you know, like, I can say it. You know, we all, we've all, you know, you know it it's like it's a lovely thing because you can and then you come back to them so there is something always in that like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stop doing what i do because that would be that would be disingenuous like it's the thing i love is making music and being and it's just about the cliche but it's balance it's just about like making sure you've got you're doing both and you're not there are certain things that i always i put prioritize um which is which is obviously like like I got offered a really, really good festival the other day to do last minute um, in your country, in Spain. Oh. And I couldn't do it. And I, I was, yeah, and I was gutted because I, you know, it's, I love playing, uh, you know, I love playing in Spain. I love playing festivals. I love it. It's a great thing to do. But it was the day of my daughter's first day at her new school. Uh. And I couldn't, and I couldn't say, there's just, for me, there's, I can't be that dad. I can't miss out. Again, we're going very, we're going very uh, personal here, but, you know, I can't. I can't miss those things because they are the ones, you know, that, you know, that's just, it's, you've got to be there for those moments. Yeah. You don't get those, you know, that's the thing. You don't get those again. And that's, 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 yeah, yeah I understand. But it was really. gutting, it, you know, equally, it was a really hard decision because it was like, it was a hard decision and an easy decision, hard decision because I love playing live and it's the thing I do, but you know, not hard in the way that I, you know, I love <laughs> my family comes first, you know, exactly. always. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, um, you know, Performer had what I consider an ambitious scope that included what you were saying. No, you'd had all these great ideas for the live show, you know, and the, the, the way you yeah. were going to present yourself to the world, uh, the performance aspect of the songs. Um, yet with Jim, I'm Still Here, I feel that you've scaled a little bit back in that aspect. Is that, my, is that just my interpretation? Yeah, but not in the live, not in the live shows at all. What's quite, quite, I mean, basically, because I had this really like we worked really hard on this live show and we did one show in Paris and then that was it. So I've got the production and I've got, I made a live show for that album, which we're basically, we've kind of adapted for this album. So I've just, I was just in Belgium and we planned, and what's quite nice is I've got that album, but I've also got this new album. So it's even more songs to, it's quite nice. It's actually, so I've got, uh, so I, I recently, I supported LCD sound system at um, Brixton for three nights. So we went before then. I went to Belgium and we plant. We've got this really good half an hour, an hour set where I play, you know, the new album, the performer, the shop machine track, and a couple of Claxon songs, which oh. are like reinterpreted. Yeah, it's really it works so well. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I spent again. I, it's really great when I rehearse and plan the set. It's with so it's with Dave and Steph. So it's like a with those, with their ear. So I, we work on the set list and the flow, and it's almost like they're kind of a DJ set you know, trying to plan the, the exact mm. flow of the set. And we've got some, it's, it works really well. And like, we've, I've done like reinterpretations of a couple of Claxon's tracks through the kind of world of gym almost. Um, you know, and I played like Golden Scans at Brixton the other night, um, at supporting LCD, and it was just insane. Like everyone, everyone was singing along. Everyone was like, you know, and it was very moving because for a long time, I kind of wanted to move on and I kind of, wanted some distance from all of that you know because it was so like raw and it was just like you know there's a lot of stuff you know and but now it's quite nice because it doesn't feel it feels like you know it feels like it's not 
it's out. These songs are like part of like, I don't know, because they had such an impact, people know them all. So so when I play, sing them or they, you know, everyone knows every word to the songs and it's quite, and I see a lot of smiling faces and it triggers like happy memories and like, it's very, it's a really nice moment in the set, you know. And I saw that you were also invited to play with LCD on, on keys, right? I saw yeah, something. Yeah, no, no, vocals. Vocals, right. For, uh, on, on hilarious. They, on home. <laughs> they, I got, I got uh, in sound check. They were sound checking. And then I get this text from James saying, James, where are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm upstairs. He said, come down now. So I went downstairs and the keyboardist um, had lost his voice. Oh. Um, so he couldn't sing any of the backing vocals or harmonies. So I had to learn the song. I mean, I know the song, but I had to learn the lyrics and the whatever. And then, and then they, the band very kindly got me up to sing that song with them. Um, it was quite funny. I spent most of it dancing and looking down at a sheet of paper with the words on it. Um, but also lovely because it was, it was, I mean, like, you know, it's, I've got one of my favorite bands, you know, they're, they're, I think they're a lot of people's favorite band, you know, LCD. So it was a, like a, the fanboy in me who like, I mean, I met James 20 years ago. I mean, like on their first ever tour of the UK, I met them in, I met James in Glasgow when this is before Claxons, like it was Edinburgh and I blagged it backstage somehow and met him. And then two or three later, we were years later, we were at Claxons, we were actually playing with LCD at festivals and stuff. And he remembered me from back then. So it's, it's so lovely to actually, it's such like a, like a dream fanboy kind of moment, you know, to be on stage yeah. with them. They're such a great band. You know, they're so good. Uh-huh. Well, let's talk about the, the, the other important collaborator on this album. Uh, you, w when we spoke about your involvement in uh, directing the rehearsals and directing the, the band that is going to be playing, uh, performing ABBA songs in the ABBA Voyager spectacle, uh, you, made, you, you became very close with Benny Anderson, who features on the album on Empty Rooms. Uh, tell me about that, mate. I mean, you told me about how you spent time at his studio in his home in Sweden, right? Yeah. Well, that was where I didn't tell you at the time, probably, but that that was where. So that three weeks uh, um, was at, at Benny's studio in, which is kind of the Abba studio. It's on this island in Stockholm, <sighs> and uh, it was there where, like, one one evening after working with Benny and the band, yeah. I asked, could I stay back for an hour and play on his GX1 synthesizer, which is this legendary synth, which only a handful of people in the world have because it's just huge and very old and very rare and it was very expensive in the 1970s let alone now so i spent an hour just recording myself just playing around with it and then when i got home and and you know i started having ideas for songs for the gym i'm still here album i then uh started opening up fold this folder that said like i don't know it said like gx1 folder and uh found all these amazing little bits that I was like, oh, that's great. That's a song there or like a start of a song. So, so Touches was written through this jam on Benny's GX1 synthesizer. And the first sound on the record and the synth that you hear on Livestream Superstar is the GX1 as well. So those set, that session fed into this album, which, you know, I then I'd written it all and recorded it all pretty much. And then right at the end, I thought that the track Empty Rooms needed a keyboard solo. And like Benny is one of the, you know, Benny is one of the greats, as we all know, and he's also one of the most generous and humble and wonderful men. And I just called him up and said, Benny, there's a track that needs a solo. Would you be up for playing on it? Wow. And he, yeah. And I, he, he just said, yeah, love to send it across. So then I sent him the tra track 
and then I and it still didn't feel like it was going to happen because I sent him the track and I thought, what's is this? Uh, what's going to you know what I mean? He's going to just like ignore the email or just he's just being kind. A couple of days later, he sends me back the part, and then he says, uh, I said it was just perfect basically, and I said, Benny, thank you so much, it's perfect, and he said, really? And I was like, yeah, really, Benny, you you nailed it. Don't worry about it. It was amazing. And it kind of, and then we fed, so we had his piano line, which he, I think he played on the Synclavier, which is his keyboard, which he basically in the late 80s sampled like the ABBA piano and those original sounds onto this key, really legendary Synclavier instrument. And uh, so I think it's that what's on it. So it could be the ABBA piano on the record. Um, and then we also sent the MIDI files this is boring people, but I'm no. sorry, but we sent the, the MIDI files through the Dewey studio. So these lines were then processed by Dave and Steph, and then we put it all together. So it's kind of, it was a nice, it was, a, it was, it was, yeah, I, I mean, I made up that he got to play on the record. It's, you know. <sighs> yeah, I mean, come on, it's Benny Anderson, you know, it's like, I know, it's <laughs> insane. I mean, we spoke about the experience of working so closely with them and there's video footage of you and them and uh, watching the band come together and rehearsing. Uh, How much of working on that project, uh, how much, apart from what you've just told me about Benny's performance on Empty Rooms, how much of the the experience of working with them, directing these rehearsals, how much of that seeped into the making of Jim, I'm Still Here? I think it kind of, um, I mean, it's just like, you can't help, but I mean, I was very lucky to to sit in the control room and isolate ABBA tracks, you know, to just like listen to the detail and listen, be able to listen to the drums on their own, the bass on their own, the keyboard lines. You know, it was, it was quite amazing because there's a lot, you know, as much as you can hear when you're on a, the final recording, the individual parts, there are certain bits that you can't, which you have to really kind of listen very, you, could, you can't hear it unless you had it on it. So I isolated it basically. So it was amazing to hear these like symphonies, you know, pop symphonies really broken down. Um, and, you know, I don't know how, I don't know. I mean, it, it didn't, I don't, it didn't directly influence the writing of it, but I mean, you can't help. It's like those things are always like, they'll, ABBA will always seep into my writing, you know, like there are certain bands which, you know, I grew up listening to, uh, which I loved, which like, I don't really listen to anymore. But because that were they were the bands that I listened to so much as a kid, they're always there. You know what I mean? Like there's their influence will always be in the music. I'll always I'll always like like the Beatles are always there. You know what I mean? There's there's like Nick Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen are always there. You know what I mean? There's like they're in the back. They're the back notes that you'll never be able to shake those influences because they were so formative. Um, and you don't want to shake because that's the if you can if you when you write a song it can like tick a few of these boxes along the way prints you know these are always there you know uh it's just then you bring in like for this record like these the new the japans and the like these these they're the things i'm excited about now or not now but when i was making this record they were the ones that i was like wow i've got a new uh i want to it's almost like you want to figure out how how do they do that that's the thing it's like you know i you, I mean, you know, you, you know, having listened to the Beatles, I know, I know how I get a lot of the sounds the Beatles got. You know, I mean, I can get close to that a lot of the if I wanted those. But there were records on sounds on these other records for, for Japan or whatnot, where I was just like, wow, that's really interesting. What is that? How do I do that? And that's for me why you. That is like 
that's the genesis of an album. That's when you're like, oh, here we go. Now we're in. Now I'm playing. Now I'm experimenting. Now I'm enjoying myself. Now I'm just trying to discover. And that's how I make music always. It's the kind of, and, and it all feeds in. It's like I've done, a, I've done a, like I did a soundtrack for a friend and I learned so much doing that, which fed into everything I do. So you, because it's like, oh, how do you record violins? How do I do, oh, I could use this marim, marim the tones, you know, like the palette changes and it all informs, everything informs itself. You know, it, it's all informative, really. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, speak, well, since, you know, when I interviewed you two years ago about Performer, you had already, you are already making the songs that we're now hearing on Dim, I'm Still Here. So that must mean that there must be new James Wrighton songs that will probably appear on an album next year or in two years' time. Am I right? Is, are Bingo! You, what are you? Ah! Exactly. Okay. You're, you're exactly right. So so what, what, can you anticipate what kind of mood you're in, where sonically, what's inspiring you that we might hear? Yeah, totally. I went, I, uh, I, I mean, I can. This, this isn't to say that this will be the final thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is the thing, is that at the moment, I went through a bit of a, I go through runs. I always see it as like, I go through phases when I write, when I make stuff where I'm, I'm in and I'll go through like three, four weeks and I'll write nonstop and then I'll not do anything for ages. So, you know, I've not done anything now for a few months. You know, I've been busy promoting and doing other things, but like, I'm not, I'm in a bit of a, but I never worry about that. That's why I, I, so I'm really happy with where I'm at with my own creativity, let's say, is that I don't ever force it when it's not feeling like I want to be in the room you know like that's so healthy and it's something that took me years to learn years of like punishing myself if I wasn't writing a song every day now I feel like okay if I go out have a coffee go and like go for a bike ride maybe go to an art gallery feed put stuff in that is as important as being in the room doing the thing similarly listening to music find that's the way to do it not like I used to slave I used to really beat myself up about it if I wasn't writing a song a day but that is now I just you know I find my way in and I, I recently a few months ago I found I was playing a lot with this very cool piece of gear which I bought which it's usually also gear is a massive part of it really actually it's like that's for me like learning an instrument you know is, is a thing so I bought this piece of gear called an alt sound which Dave and Steph have recommended to me they said like I was going down a YMO thing and then they said to me, have you heard of the Alt Sound DS4? <laughs> and I'm always like, I haven't heard of the Alt Sound DS4. So I spent about a year trying to find one and found one. And it's this very, very early uh, drum synth, I guess you'd call it, um, which you feed drum machines into and then you can tune, just fuck around with. It's amazing. Um, and it's on all the early like YMO records. Uh, and you'll see them, if you see the... There's a great video of them playing at the Greek Theatre YMO and Sakamoto. Oh no, I forget what the, what the drummer's called in a YMO, but he's playing one. You can see him triggering it with the drum pad. Um, so I've been writing lots of very, very, very uh, robotic music with these drum machines, 808, all 808, uh, this alt sound, and then lots of very, very strange chord changes and very weird, like. With the very, I've got a theme for this record as well already. So I had like I've written all the, uh, the I've got a whole story for this album, the next one. But I don't know. Who knows? This is like, I might go off on one. I might go like, do you know what? No, I'm going to park that. It's not right. But I, I'm really liking what I've been writing of late. So I'm, you know, fingers crossed. That's the next thing. And the theme is, I like the idea of um, a clone. Uh, Recording stopped. 
I like the idea. The recording stopped. The 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 the, the video recording. Don't worry, you can keep on. The audio oh. the, the audio is still with us. We still have five. I like minutes. the idea of that. I can't. I don't want to talk too much about it. But basically, in 1983 was the year I was born, and in 1983, I also uh, a clone of me was born, and the clone goes through life with me. It's my friend. So me and this friend go on this little journey through life. It's a little bit granddaddy software slump. It's a little bit Yoshimi, uh, Flame and Lips themed. It's a bit, you know, but I don't want that to, that's my, I don't, again, I, that's my way in. It's almost like when I write, I need, I need that. I need that way in to kind of write about more universal things, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I can go on this journey with this clone. This clone is dying as well. It's OSX is out, up, it needs, it's, beyond updating so its software is is dying so it's a it's a like you know it's i think there's a i've got this i've got lots of songs and like themes and lyrics and you know it's it's still early days but I, yeah. i'm into i'm in a world which i'm happy about uh you know i really enjoy i you know i enjoy the process it's a really you know yeah. it's not a bad way to 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 make a living you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly I, i do you consider yourself a futurist more than The opposite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, like, I am. I'm, I'm an optimist, and I'm a. I'm an optimist. I appreciate the past, and I really do. You know, I, 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 I mean, I studied history at university, so I have a real love of the past. Yeah. But uh, and, and you need to obviously know where you came from and know the history to, before you can move forward and not make the same mistakes, as we all know. Mm -hmm. But there. Um, but yeah, I am. A, I am a very much. Uh, I'm a fan of, you know, you could take it back to the clacks and stuff. Big, you know, been a fan of like the J.G. Ballards and these dystopian futures from from the off. You know, that's some science fiction and has always fascinated me. Mm. Um, and the right writings of Burroughs and fantastical other worlds. You know, that was deep. That was deep Claxton's territory. You know. Yeah. Um, and in my last few records, solo records, I've tried to be, make them obviously more personal and about kind of more grounded in Earth. But I think for the next one, it might be a little bit of a a mix of the two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gra you can't be more grounded than organizing a good dishwasher uh, to get you more... You cannot be more grounded than that. <laughs> and you cannot be more grounded than sitting next to your daughter while she does Zoom school. But again, that is also pretty futuristic and pretty fucking weird and pretty um, Black Mirror almost, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was the thing. That whole existence felt like a Black Mirror episode. You know, it felt like I was on this weird... When I was doing like these live streams... And my only reaction, interaction would be a, if I, when I played a song, you know, on the, over someone's uh, Instagram account, uh, would, the only reaction would be like, if they liked it, a heart smiling face emoji going up the right hand side of the screen. And it felt like there's nothing more empty than this. You know, this is like the, and then no, it's the way it was what we had to do. And that was, that was the, you know, that was what it was, but yeah. it didn't make you go like, I hope this is the future. It made you go, I hope this isn't going to be forever. And I hope we go back to being in the same room and being able to play gigs in the yeah. same room. And, you know, that's it. It's about human connection, really. I mean, that's what this album's about. It's about the longing and the craving for human connection. 
Yeah. Uh, we've got just for the last minute we have left of the of what the Zoom will allow. I have to ask you, since you're also a very reliable uh, musician who other people like to have uh, with them, uh, James Ford has is a close friend who's ha who involved you in Arctic Monkeys, uh, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. And because there's an Arctic Monkeys new album on the way, are you in any way involved in any of that? Or are you involved in any <laughs> I, that you no, can speak sadly of? No, not. Sadly not. I'm not on the new record, no. Oh. Um, but um, it's uh, from what I hear, it's uh, it's going to be brilliant. And you know, uh, I've not heard the record, but I know that people, you know, I've, I've I, I'm if it's anything like Tranquility Base, I mean, which is one of my favorite records of the last ten years. Mm. Uh, I think the world is in for a treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, James, for for catching up. And uh, <laughs> uh, putting your family on hold to to attend uh, more interviews uh, for for the gym. No, side they're of all your at life. school now. It's all good. They're at school now. The world's opened up. They're all at school. Ah, We're out of time now. yes. We could talk for days. We can go back to to how things go were. Back. Yeah, exactly. So we hopefully that means that you will be able to come to Spain soon to perform. Yeah. I'd We're love to. I'd love to. I need to. I need to do a gig here in Spain. It's been way too long. And um, yeah. Well, you, you have a very enthusiastic uh, friend and fan who is always uh, putting out the word like James Wrighton's got a brilliant album, brilliant, two brilliant albums out to, to come and perform here. Uh, you know, it, it yeah, just yeah, keep throwing keep it out. Manifesting, yeah. manifesting. Manifesting. Uh, well, congratulations. Uh, the album is out on Dewey. It was released last Friday uh, and uh, it's out for, available for everyone to enjoy. Thank you so much, James.
Ah, wonderful stuff. James Wright and Jim, I'm still here. Make sure you listen to that wonderful album. Now, uh, beloved indie London label, Eat Your Own Ears, has released an EP compilation titled Recordings EP1 with tracks from Fortet, Charlotte, Adigiri, with Bolis Pupil, who we mentioned earlier in the interview, who also released their music on Dewey, funny enough, uh, Mount Kimby, James Yorkston, and Sylvian Esso, and a Peng remix of Ride's classic Vapor Trail made by Robert Smith, of The Cure, which also features on the anniversary reissue of The Shoegazer's Milestone album, Nowhere. Don't you just love any excuse to play a classic? This is Vapor Trial, reimagined or remixed or reworked by the master, Smith.
band that was heavily influenced by The Cure and maybe some 90s shoegaze is New York City's Interpol, who just dropped their seventh album, which marks their 20-year career as successful recording artists. They were forced to work remotely for the first time, each writing their parts in solace and sending each other files, eventually getting together in London to record with Alan Mulder, who'd already worked with the band on two previous occasions, and his mate Flood. The result is in my opinion, wonderful. I'm a fan and I'm going to be a fan till the day I die. Um, and it's all we are going to have time for. This is Interpol from with another cut from The Other Side of Make Believe. My name's Johan Wald. Behind the controls, we had Rob Roman producing this show wonderfully. Make sure you tune in tomorrow to my co colleague Ben Cardew, who will deliver some more freshness on the Weekly Reviews Daily Edition Radio Formula. Have a great week. On the streets of Cozumel
You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. (laughs) 